Welcome to Read by Example, where teachers are leaders and leaders know literacy. And I've shared this a few times in this space. Uh, that phrase comes from Reggie Routman and her book, Read, Write, Lead. And I want to welcome Reggie back for another conversation around her important work. Welcome, Reggie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you today. And I've gotten to know you and your work for over a decade now, and it's 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 work that I continue to recommend in my role now as a systems coach to other schools, other leaders. Um, it's one of the go-to uh, philosophies, I think, from both a leadership and teacher perspective about uh, student equity and um, just helping schools realize their potential with their kids. So. I was excited to hear uh, a while ago that you were coming out with a new book and it's here now in my hands, The Heart Center Teacher, <laughs> Restoring Hope, Joy, and Possibility in Uncertain Times, and just came out through Routledge Ion Education. Uh, congratulations, Reggie, on this publication. Thank you. A labor of love it was. So, Reggie, I want to talk to you about here in your book. Um the crack plate and the it's beautifully depicted in your book cover here by Toby Gordon. She did a painting for you of it. And it served as a powerful metaphor for navigating uncertain times. Uh, what felt true to you as you connected this item to our lives? Well, the story is that uh, some years ago, my husband and I had bought this beautiful piece of pottery uh, at a craft sale. And um, some one of us dropped the plate and the whole thing kind of shattered. And my husband put it back together, I think just with Elmer's glue. And honestly, when it was put back together, it was more beautiful. It really looked like a work of art because you had all these shards. There were more than 20 shards. And they were put back together into something that was more beautiful. Um, there it is, yeah. And that painting that Toby Gordon did is actually... Um, from a photograph on our coffee table in the living room and always have the plate there because it reminds me, especially today, when life is so tough, I think, for almost everyone with all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in education, the the, the notion that um, that we're all broken in some way and how can we restore that brokenness into something that's a thing of beauty and I remember, and you and I have talked about this, um, We, my husband and I, um, our son died a few years ago from a rare cancer. And some one of our friends asked us, are you broken from what this, this terrible loss? And I thought about that and I said, no, I think we are broken open. Of course, some days we are broken, but broken open in the sense that we had more compassion for other people that were suffering. We had more gratitude for what the good things that we had going on in our life. It made us more appreciative. And I often think about um, Leonard Cohn, and I love his um, anthem and the refrain that goes, um, ring the bells that still can ring. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, we're always looking for um, perfect, you know, I think we have to be careful about that. Like the perfect is the enemy of the good. What we have going on, if we're doing the best we can, 
has to be good enough. And we need to, I believe, um, be grateful for what we do have. And so that's a that's a very big theme of the book, the whole notion of how do we restory, change our story, help kids change their story when they've had a lot of trauma in their lives, that their their story is not limited to to their zip code. Um, and so the book is very different for me because it's um a combination of personal and professional, as you know. Yeah, uh, mental health seems to be a, a thread in this book as much as um, you know professional health and. Uh, I would say you know social emotional learning well being. I would say teacher well being, mm-hmm. and student well being. Um, yeah. All of that, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so I call it really a genre breaking book. <laughs> And um, you and I had talked earlier about the fact that when I spoke with um, Kelly Gallagher in yeah. another conversation, which is we should mention on um, on my website in in a section that we have called "In Conversation with Regie," that was the first one when I spoke with um, Kelly Gallagher and Penny Kittle, and Kelly said he had not read a professional book like this one, um, and I think that's true, and I think it's because I don't separate. Um, my personal life from my professional life in the sense that I believe we have to bring our whole self into the classroom. Not like, well, um, you know, my personal life is someplace else. And so a lot of that has to do with, you know, getting to, you and I have talked a lot about this, all about relationships that you can't learn from someone that you don't trust. And one way to get to know somebody is through their stories, finding a place for their stories that we tell, that we write. And you and I have talked a lot about that as well. And that's something that's been in your work for, for years and years. I remember going through the Reggie Routman and Residence uh, video series on professional development. And, you know, a lot of it was just teaching through Norm and your cat or, or just, you know, everyday stories and really gave kids an entry point. Um, yeah. It seemed like to to tell their own stories and access literacy and, and those skills as well. Um, and you mentioned your conversation with Kelly and Penny, and um, I can just tell that you really appreciated their comment um, that this was unlike any work. I did appreciate it because um, it was not easy finding a publisher. You won't be surprised because and this is just the way it is in life. Um, mostly people thought, well, this doesn't fit with our line. You know, it's a little different, so we can't do it. And so I was very lucky to wind up with this fabulous editor, Lauren uh, Davis at Routledge and right away she loved it and offered me a contract right away. She liked the fact that it dealt with all of life and that it was personal and professional at the same time. And I think we've seen that in schools too, where they don't want to, I know we do, they don't want to mention uh, well-being sometimes or equity or, or mental health or social emotional learning. These These are becoming terms yeah. that are always comfortable to talk about. So I, I think that's one thing that this book does is not just tell your story, but also give permission for other teachers in their schools who may not feel comfortable doing so to to be more open and vulnerable within their sense of comfort, whatever that is. So Well, and you can choose the story that you tell. So you don't have to tell something that's going to be very personal. I am a very private person. I, this was a big decision for me to... Uh, make my life an open book in terms of how I've grown as a teacher and personally sharing some of the tragedy that we've had. 
but I felt it was important for my own healing um, and just as important to um, thinking about self-care as other care. What can I do in this book that might help other people? Because everybody is struggling to some degree, you know, life is, life is not, is not easy these days with, you know, with war, with sickness, with mandates, with extreme, uh, on all ends of the political system. Um, it's just a, it's a tough time. Mm -hmm. And so school has to be a compassionate place. It has to be a sanctuary for kids. So many of the kids are suffering with trauma, even though we can't see what that trauma is. And stories and relationships and um, creating a culture in the classroom where everybody feels welcome, where their voice is heard, where their stories are honored, where their families are honored, it's really, really more important than ever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's equity work. Yeah, it's equity work. And it's humane work. It's um, um I think um I think one of the big things is that is the opening story that I tell in the book, which is about a man. I call him Ted at the age of 54, when he lost his job during the pandemic, called me up and said, can you teach me um, how to read and write or teach me to be a better reader and writer and also, and also help me have a more interesting life. And I really could not, I didn't know anything. He'd been in special ed all his life. I didn't know. He had very limited skills in reading, almost none in writing that I knew about. And we worked together just by phone. Um, my landline and his iPhone and no visual, no technology. And he became a reader. And how that happened was we developed this loving relationship. Um, and it was my um, really trying to see him, to see what he was about. You know, I tell the story of him saying, um, at the end of one of our sessions, I love you. You know, he would say, peace, thank you. And then one day he says, peace, thank you, I love you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, and then I started thinking a lot about what does it mean to really see a person? Mm -hmm. And so if you're teaching high school, obviously you can't really love in the way we're talking about. We might love our spouses and our family, but love in the way that you see, you see these, you see the people in front of you, you know? Okay, and you see their strengths, you see them, you see their assets. You're not looking through a deficit lens. Yep. And so what I found out about Ted is he's very smart. He's probably smarter than I am. But he his the expectations on the part of people that were teaching him were so low. Um, he wasn't expected. He probably he would be labeled dyslexia. I have no idea. It didn't matter. But he learned to read because um, he got to choose most of the books. And I... You know, I have a big, big background in teaching reading, including my reading recovery background. I'm certified to teach readers of all types, including kids with the label learning disabilities. So I knew I would teach him, but without the relationship, it yeah. wouldn't happen. He had to trust me. Yeah. So you were giving him attention. You yeah. established relationships. I mean, anyone can do that. Um and, and anyone can do that, but I would say it has to be accompanied by a high ex with high expectations, right? Yep. You know, it's not enough just to raise your expectations like, oh yeah, I think you can get here. No, let's get him, you know, really raise them. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is a smart man that I'm dealing with. I don't want to insult his intelligence. Right. And you've 
you know, I think some people in that situation would have to really do some self-reflection on like, where are my beliefs right now on this person and, and what are my expectations and really take some time to think, you know, where, what kind of a mindset am I in to, to when I approach this person? And I wasn't thinking, you know, about test scores and, um, you know, I wasn't thinking about teaching him skills, particularly. I was thinking about what can I do to make this person's life richer and reading mm-hmm. certainly through reading is is one way. And how am I going to do that? And so I write about in several places in the book how I did that. The first part, a lot of time spent just getting to know him and getting into his world. and And then all of our reading and our skills work came from that. Yeah. So it was it was, it was a it was a gift I think for both of us, um, uh, and I learned a lot from it. It was a very humbling experience. It was not easy. It yeah. was not easy. Yeah, that's a lesson. That's a gift for us too when we read this book and a reminder as we get into you know coming into our third, maybe even fourth month of school, um, and we're still trying to establish relationships and build trust and. And not to forget that. And if we're feeling frustrated, maybe we're not seeing that success yet. Um, it, it, well, it's about slowing down to hurry up. You know, you're go- it's going to pay big dividends if you take that time, not worry so much about setting up the rules, um, but doing it with the kids so that, you know, the classroom, you're setting it up together. This is not my classroom. This is our classroom. How do we want it to function? And not being in such a hurry to cover all the content, it actually speeds up the learning. Yeah. It actually speeds up the learning. Um, let me say, because you and I had talked about this earlier, just so that we get it in, is that you you had asked me at one point, like, did I know how this book was going to turn out? Yes. No, I did not. I think this is really important. I didn't even know if I could write the book because I was in, I was not in a good place. I was in a very anxious state. Um and so I didn't have, I had kind of a rough outline and I'm thinking thinking about the kids that we're working with. Um, I had some idea of what I wanted to say. So it was the content that determined the form. I really didn't know that this was going to be sort of genre breaking where I have part memoir, I have part stories, I have part essays, I have part approaches to teaching and learning, approaches to living. I really didn't know that ahead of time. And I think the main thing is just to you know, of course, you've got to have an outline and some idea of what you want this book to be. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had a contract for it. But I really didn't know the form that it would take until I started the writing. So the process so determined. The process determined it. And one of the things that was a surprise was when I would read aloud to friends and educators and get their get their feedback. I might have been through Zoom or just over the phone. That act of actually speaking aloud what I had written was really helpful. And I think that's something we need to do more of in the classroom. Read your paper to appear. Um, that, that's when I, when I was reading aloud, that's how I could pick up the rhythm. This is really important for poetry writing too. I could pick up, um, I had words there that just didn't sound right, that didn't fit. Um, so that and and it also led me to record an audiobook, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done because people said, wow, you're telling a lot of good stories and you have a good voice for it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I did decide to go ahead and do an audiobook, which has just come out actually now. Um, and I think sometimes we limit kids too much in terms of everybody's everybody's um, 
going to show what they know the same way, which is very constraining for kids that um, maybe are fantastic illustrators, but are not such good writers. You know, why can't it be a rap or a song or um, a graphic, some kind of a graphic text, you know, to be more, um, because I've been teaching over 50 years now, and I think um, the generosity part of it is very big as well. Like, there's more than one way to do this. And why can't we honor students' choices more, you know? I uh, was just thinking, too, um, when you mentioned um, your intention and then the process kind of became an eventual outcome for the product. And I mean, the message I'm hearing is just get kids writing and just get kids writing about what they know, what they're interested in, what they're curious about. Um, I just want to tease that out and make sure people hear that because I think, like you said, we're, we're going through the curriculum, which is usually prescribing some kind of writing task or something like that. But um, when we do that, we do take that risk of yeah. get stories from, from the classroom. And engagement is absolutely essential. I tell this story, I think it's in the last chapter of a high school student named Crystal who had the hardest, most abusive, the most horrible life of anybody that I've ever heard of. And yet she was able to transform that um, into poetry. She liked writing poems. And, um, and once she was able to put down on paper through poetry, what she was suffering with and how she dealt with it, it was transformational for her, you know. Um, and it was her teacher who she and I were working in concert, but really her, Mary Beth Nicholas in Wisconsin, who um, learned from that, um, that the skills in isolation and following the exercise books wasn't doing anything for her kids. She was an interventionist teacher. Yeah. Once they had the choice of how they could express themselves with their what they were dealing with in their lives, everything changed for her whole class. I was yeah. a part of that um, action research project and had a chance to interview Mary Beth, and it was just it was just transformational. I mean, that was that's the accurate word there for Mary Beth as well as for the kids. I mean, she became a whole new. Yeah, the whole class. And they got better in reading and writing. And most of them tested out of her class and wanted to stay with her, you know, because she honored their voices. And yeah. they had, you know. Well, that comes back to your central concept in the book of story, power of story, of restoring. I like that as a verb. And in schools, yeah, I've mentioned this before that you know teachers and leaders are often having their stories told for them through test scores, through inaccurate media reports. Um, what are some favorite practical ways for educators and students to to better control their narratives? Oh, that's that's a hard question. Um, I think by opening up, you know. Um, Bishop's work on mirrors, I forgot how you say it, mirrors and sliding doors, but being able to see stories from all different cultures, not not just your own, bringing that into the classroom through read aloud, through um, history, and making sure that we're hearing the voices of marginalized populations, indigenous populations, um, people that were formerly enslaved, that we're hearing the good, the bad, the ugly, 
Um, and so that kids are encouraged to tell and write their own stories. And I think podcasts are so much now. Um, podcasts are great to bring into the classroom, I think, for kids of all ages. Yeah. Uh, telling your own story, like uh, depending on, um, and you do have to be careful the stories you tell, you know. Um, but if you don't risk in your own stories, especially if you're when you're working with older students who have been through a lot, uh, middle school, high school, they're not going to risk. They're going to be, you know, um, they're going to be very careful with what they write about. And some of the writing they do is not to be shared, perhaps, right. you know, just yep. journal. Writing. It doesn't, you just, you two pages today on what, you know, if you can give a, Linda Reef's done terrific work with that. You can give a prompt. Um, yep. I'm not necessarily going to read it, you know. So just giving lots of opportunity for story. And um, I became aware through writing this book how absolutely critical stories were. I looked at the stories that I was told mm-hmm. on how I would, you know, what I would become and how I would turn out, which turned out to be stories that were pre-written by somebody else. Right. And it, and it I wish that I'd had a teacher I never did that said, what is your story? What is uh, something that you want everyone to know about you? That never happened. So I was just this quiet, straight A um student that nobody really noticed because I didn't stand out in any way, but I wasn't helped to stand out in any way either. And I think that is, um, and I know we're probably most mostly out of time, but maybe the most important thing that I learned over the years and, and what I work towards when I'm with students is to be assets focused, to, to see And if you can't see, then we're not looking hard enough. Every student has their strengths and something that they're good at to find that and capitalize on it. Yeah. And and because we all want to be successful, we all want to be not just loved, but seen who's, you know, this is who I am. And if, and if you can accept me and um, support me as I am, the sky's the limit, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I think again, making school a sanctuary the same the way that many of us try to make our home a sanctuary for kids that are homeless, that kids that are abused, the classroom, the school may be the only place where they feel safe and secure. Um, so I think we pay, we play a very great role. And I just maybe end by saying that people, teachers I know are very discouraged. It's a really hard time to be teaching. However, that said, that's always been the case. It's always been a hard time to be teaching. The kids are always behind in underperforming schools. It's not just the pandemic. Um, but to believe as a teacher, which I do, that if you if you are a cheerleader, if you change the life of just one student, and, and often I have stories in the book about that, that is a forever change. You have made um, a transformational, monumental difference for that student. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's what the work's about. That's what we do. Yeah, you hear hear adults will say, you know, this teacher changed my life, but it usually wasn't some skill lesson or but it was always the relationship and the expectations that exceeded me and she helped me become more of who I was meant to be. Yeah, I think that's really what the best teachers do. Um, And so that's an honor. I think it's such a it's an honorable profession. Yeah. Um, And I wish it was more respected and yeah paid better and all of those things that we want for them and i just wrote down those two questions and i think a teacher could come back to those two questions once a month and have kids just journal about it again and again but 
what is it? What is your story? And what do you want me to know about you? Uh, what do you want us to know about you? And it'd be interesting to see how a kid's story would change throughout the year, you know, from. And also, how can I support, you know, um, what it is that, that you hope to learn this year, that you hope to do with your life? How can I support those efforts? Because sometimes we're the only ones that are um, available to do that for kids. Yeah. Um, that's important because kids will not, like you said, they may not, or even yeah. adults may not speak up and feel like they can ask for help. So I think that invitation is important. Well, Reggie, uh, I can't recommend the book enough. I've, you know, yeah. been from square one of where I've heard about the book and yeah. knowing your journey from some publishers who weren't so keen on publishing it to seeing it in print. And, um, it's a, it was a great journey. And, uh, I'm glad this book is in the hands of other educators and people. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for writing this book and um, just being who you are. And thank you for being my friend. And um, we have our relationship has grown from colleague to cherished friend. And so that has been a wonderful journey. Great to know you. I'm thankful for our friendship and thank you for, for being here today, Regie. My pleasure. Thank you.